What's up, guys? On this episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear, well, I had some mic technical issues, and I apologize for that. Anyway, the EQ is kind of off. I hope you can still appreciate it. Maybe you wouldn't even noticed until I told you. I don't know. Anyway, you'd think I would have got it right after 100 episodes, but apparently not. Anyways, guys, I hope you can enjoy the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear. I'm Scott McNally. Of course, I'm here with Skip Hill in S2H. Uh, all of our programming is brought to you by True Nutrition. I just took my J-Flex, and um, you can use our code ADVICES for some additional savings. Everything they've got is third-party tested, high-quality health and performance supplements. What's up, guys? We uh, This is our first show of the year, episode 101. You're not going to let me finish my bread, are you? I hate just hate your rules. That's all it is. I just fucking hate your rules. That it's like a fourteen page contract, and I know that's number like, three. I'll Skip, just put my shit wear, aside. No, you gotta wear I'll a blue stocking stock cap. Skip, you gotta wear sunglasses. <laughs> okay. Skip, you gotta wear. Uh, a you, you notice Scott's growing a beard like me. He's trying to catch up. I yeah, you know what, man? There's I, some gray in that thing too, baby. Oh, it is. You can see it it. Is. I got a lot of light hair going on there. I got lazy. Is the way that started. Mm-hmm. It was three days in, and I was like, "Yeah, we'll just we'll let that ride out for a little bit, we'll see what happens." So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's about it. We're gonna talk some shoulders today. We've got a bunch of listener questions, stuff related to. Uh, we got some SARMs talk. We've got some pro hormone talk. A bunch of bodybuilding talk. We've got a, a we've got an interesting growth hormone question. Uh, we're gonna commentate on uh, something that Dennis James had said about growing muscle. Got a bunch of stuff going on, but for starters, happy New Year's, gentlemen. Happy New Year. New Year, new me. Hell yeah. Do you guys see. set New Year's resolutions? I don't set New Year's resolutions. I'm above that, personally. But I will tell you this. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. Be transparent, Skip. I that In my 50 years, I have never in my entire life wanted to see a year end so fucking much ever cheers to that oh my god and you know and i know i'm not the only one it's just been a long i don't want to say i don't want to say it's been shitty because and i did i wrote about this in my coach log i always try to find something positive out of anything whether it's a fucking injury whether it's shit that happens you know in your personal life or whatever else and i did find a handful of things that were really good that happened this year but man, just just over, and I'm really hoping. I think we all are that a lot of this doesn't drag into 2021. But some of it is damn sure going to, Dude, as far I, as you know, whether it be COVID or elections and politics and social unrest and things like that. I don't want to sound negative, but I feel like we've got another six months of this. I just, I think it's very possible. I'm telling my clients, and some of them, if they're listening already, they see there's three people listening. So, yeah, probably not. But anyway. Uh, I'm telling them, look, just if you want to compete in, in 2021, that's cool. But don't don't plan on it before at least July, at least. Because okay. I know what I went through and watching a lot of my clients. And you ended up, a lot of us ended up prepping seven, eight, nine months. And it just takes a toll, man. It, yeah. It's it's pretty rough. So it, and what will happen is I think it's even worse when they don't cancel the show. They push it a month at a time. Yeah, because then you don't know exactly when it's going to be. And then they push it a month. You think that's when it's going to be. They push it again for another month, maybe two. You're just better off sometimes if you just cancel it. So it's going to be interesting to see what the promoters do. Yeah, I was even thinking about Masters Nationals. Gosh, I wonder what they're going to do. Are they going to 
you know, try to be a little bit more planful and be like, no, fuck it. We're going to push it to the end of the year just to be safe. Like they did this last year, or are they going to nudge it along, you know, one month or two months at a time and kind of leave competitors hanging. It'll be interesting to see how they do it, especially now that, you know, a lot of these promoters have had a year to deal with it. Yeah. I think I'm going to go broke too. Arnold is going to be in September. They said, which, and then the Olympia will be December again. So I think that'll be interesting. I'm drinking out of my commemorative. Um, you probably can't tell, but this is like a hologram cup from the Arnold Classic circa 2012, maybe when they were nice. sponsored by Milk. Milk sponsored the Arnold. Hmm. Choc- chocolate milk. Yeah, I got two cups, two of these cups for free. So, yeah, I know. Try not to be jealous, guys. Try, I'm trying right now. <laughs> I still have them, as you can see. Anyway, let's talk some shoulders. Shoulder training. I, I'll i be honest, shoulders are the first thing that grew on me, and I hardly train them anymore. I don't have to do much. I focus on chest and my shoulders grow. I feel like I spent way too much time focusing on shoulders it, earlier on, like giving a whole day to shoulders. Now I'm kind of anti-intense shoulder training because I feel like they grow no matter what. That's my take, and that's where I stand right now, but I might not feel that way a year or two from now. What do you guys think? S2H, you probably remember, you know, the muscle magazine, say, 20 years ago. You were reading them, right? 30. Back when, okay, so so for quite a while. So, like, you know, I think about people like, you know, Matarazzo and and guys like that. It used to be that there was a ton. Did he just blow his nose? Yeah, he just blew his damn nose. Should I have done that like right in the screen or something? <laughs> I would have. Yeah, you should have. But the shoulder training, you know, layouts and articles and things like that were quite complex. There was a there was a ton of overhead pressing, and it's funny to see how it's evolved. Shoulder training has evolved over the last twenty years because, and for good reason. There's not as much. I feel there's not as much shoulder pressing, uh, overhead pressing, behind the neck pressing. You know, with the exception of the small minority of us who have kind of brought it back kind of out of the, you know, out of the closet or whatever you want to call it. It's, there's just not as much focus on, and I think that's why there's just so much work that gets done between chest and back. And, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this with back because back training is a lot different too, and how it relates to the, to the shoulder complex. There is a direct relationship because Arnold used to do more of a bent over row. When you used to do barbell rows, your shoulders relative to your, say, your waist or your hips, they weren't as high. You weren't maybe mm. parallel to the floor, but you were damn close. Yeah, you know, yeah. you would stand up on a bench because you had to, you know, you felt like you had to stretch everything out. Same with, like, long pulley rows and stuff. It was just a different, a, just a different technique. And these days with the shoulders higher and everything else, you're getting even more rear delt work mm-hmm. and more trap work than, than how these exercises were done, you know, 20 years ago. So between chest work and back work, especially rowing, there's a lot of shoulder work in there. And and I just wrote some, I think it was in my coach log a few weeks ago and I got a couple of people who responded to it and, you know, every now and then somebody wants to argue and, and, that, and that's cool. That's fine. But uh, one of the things I said was the focus, how I approach shoulder training, not only with myself, but with my clients is I tend to focus more the bulk of the shoulder session on side delts because I feel that the front delt and the rear delt get hit so hard. That's not to say that I condone not training the front and rear delt. That was the argument, which clearly I stated in the in my coach log that that was not the case. But 
people sometimes read what they want to read and you know if it doesn't fit their narrative then it it never was said <laughs> so i think it's still important you got to train all three heads but it's safe i think the side dealt and that's that look from the front obviously from the rear too but from the front as far as width the shoulder to waist ratio and things like that that's where you're going to get that width a lot of the width is just primarily in the side dealt why is it that some people have such a hard time growing their shoulders where other people like myself they were the first thing that popped out I think there's a genetic component, but at the same time, I think it's a lot of times the same thing with arms. There's there's a lot of indirect work, and it, the muscle group, the complex, really becomes overtrained. And then when something doesn't grow, what's the first thing that people do? Well, I'm not training enough, so more. I'm going to train more. Yeah. You know, whether it's arms or shoulders. It's funny, it never happens with legs. They don't think, oh, I'm going to train legs more. <laughs> but, yeah, that's usually what happens, I think, with shoulders, shoulders and arms. They, uh, there's just a lot of indirect work there. And when that happens and you've got too much work going, then you, know, you can't recover. And if you can't recover, then you're not going to grow. Yeah. What do you yeah, I mean, your shoulders are used in all upper body exercises. I mean, they're probably second to biceps for the most overworked, especially your front delts, overworked muscle. I don't do, I never did a lot of shoulders. I mean, I remember back like in powerlifting in high school, we did, you know, behind the neck presses military presses and stuff. My shoulders always grew good. So I, I never really, I had to refine the rear delt some cause you know, I didn't hit it a whole lot for a while. Uh, but I, I, I never did a lot with shoulders. I mean, I do some Arnold presses, you know, dumbbell presses, some side laterals, some rear delt work, maybe three, four sets, three, four exercises total. Get it over with. You bring, up the Arnold, chest. You bring up the Arnold dumbbell press. Let's go yeah. at it over the Arnold dumbbell press. You Arnold like it, like right? Because you Arnold, did them. I mean, Arnold didn't even like them. I like I, I'll tell you why I don't like them. You do like them, Scott? I gotta, but you got to be careful. You, gotta, you can't go too heavy on them. You guys you can't let the dumbbells get driven way down into your chest. You guys say well, what you got to say go about ahead. this, but I got to tell you a story after because I, I okay. heard a story Arnold actually said about how he invented these. Gotcha. Here's my hang up with this exercise. I don't like rotation under, okay, you're following me. Okay, I see you now. I don't like rotation under, uh, I say heavy resistance, pretty much any resistance. I just, I, there's something about it that I, and I can't explain to you why I can't, I can't explain the mechanisms, but I think that that rotation is just not a good idea with, for the large majority of people. I think over time, I think it would wear on people's shoulders and I don't think it would be very good, whether it be joint integrity or, or you know, tendon, whatever. I just, I, that type of rotation, ugh, just, it makes me cringe. Well, I have like bad it. shoulders, it actually feels good on them. Yeah. It, it, well, yeah. when you do it, you know, I mean, I can take it and I can say, okay, I can see how, it, you know, you, the bottom of the movement starts with, you know, it's very, very strong front delt. And then as you rotate, of course, and especially when you lock out, you know, a lot of that that resistance transfers to the side delt too. And if you're doing them, you know, like dumbbells or barbells, the stabilization, the rear delt has to work too. It, overall, it makes sense. I just don't like that rotation. I, there's just something about it I'm not comfortable with. So, it's okay. Somebody's got to do them. I'll do them. When yeah, I'm exactly. Ready. I mean, and that's what is that? That's the that's just the preference or the difference. You know, I can't explain why I don't I just don't logically it 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 seems to me that it's just not a good idea. And yet 
you probably done them for years and you haven't had any problems and they work great. And some people, they do. I see them done quite a bit in the gym. They actually felt even better after I broke my collarbone. I wrecked my I shoulder why. doing them. Like literally. Oh, no them. shit. Okay. Yeah, I wrecked my shoulder doing them. But so when I worked for Bally, you guys remember Bally? The oh, that's a long time ago. Now. Yeah, oh, I was Bally's. a personal trainer. Yeah, Bally. Yeah, okay. I was yeah. a personal trainer there. And the guy who was our district manager, he taught classes that we did. And like if you took additional classes, then you could get paid more because you'd become like a level three trainer and then a level four trainer. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah. So I was working on one of those classes one weekend and I was with the district manager and he told us the story because somebody had asked, they had this big thing. And because Bally's was a big company, Arnold was brought to this event. And so all the big wigs and stuff from Bally's were talking with him. And he said that, uh, so back in the Gold's Gym days, they had all the photographers that were in there. And they were just walking around taking pictures of everyone. And if Arnold was doing the same thing that everybody else was doing, you know, they'd take pictures of him, but then they'd take pictures of everyone else too. He said when he started doing stuff that was weird and stuff that was different, then he got more attention. And so he came up with the Arnold Press, and lo and behold, what happened? He said all the flash bulbs started going off. So, so now Skip's doing it. Kind of like IG 30 years ago. Pretty basically. much. Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> the much. The 1970s version of Instagram. I got to come up with some shit to get some attention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I put some context to it, though. I mean, I don't think I ever went above maybe 35 or 40-pound dumbbells with it. And that's back when I used to press like 120s. So it's not an exercise that you would yeah. naturally go real big on. That I agree with. Yeah. So I, here's I my question light. to people like that. Then if you could press the 120s, what are you really getting out of the 30s? Uh, yeah, you want to come out it, it, it was more of a – it wasn't a something I'd start out with. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's just it – was, it, was it was a good mid-finisher exercise. I think one thing – You, you know, have to remember pause, that everybody does slow – slow movement you know nothing you're going real real crazy with yeah that's an exercise that would not be involved in like a training protocol that is high intensity low volume that would be a higher volume more variety more exercises and maybe a finisher i get it i understand i mean it's got its i think it's got its place if it's done correctly uh, for those people who, you know, aren't going to go very heavy with it, they're going to use it as a finisher and they don't have shoulder problems. I, I don't know, something, something to that effect. Then you might get away with it. Billy Ryan brings up an interesting point. And I think that this is kind of where we, we talked a little bit about this topic before we got started. And I know where we really wanted to move into was rear delts. And he says, guys who don't train their rear delts are quite apparent that it can change the side chest actually really like all the side shots. I think it gives you a certain level of dimension that if you don't have good rear delts, that is something I it really, it comes down to any body part. You know, if, if you aren't doing a lot of front and rear delts and they suck, then you should probably work on them. But if they do look fine, then don't, you know, you don't have to blow it away. But I can tell you, I remember in myself that I didn't train rear delts at all. When I first started training, I didn't really know about them. And then once I discovered them, I started training them, and then it, it was a game changer for me. I remember, in a, and they responded really well too. Like three months later, they were they were already popping. But let's talk a little bit about rear delts, guys. Hmm, rear delts. No, I don't. Rear delts. It does look bad. I'll tell you what. Take 
take any pro and watch their back double bicep. And what you're going to notice, and this, I always tell people, if you want to know why a pro is a pro and the amateur is an amateur, you can look at their size and you can look at their condition and everything else. But this is what I'll tell you. This is what will tell the tale every single time. Watch the back double bicep. And if their side delt is the smallest in a back double bicep, if it's the smallest muscle of the shoulder complex, if their rear delts and their front delts are as big or bigger, that's why they're a fucking pro. Hmm. Or the side belt is typically and, and so on the other hand amateurs tend to have much more size than their side delts and their rear and front delts are usually weaker or there's an imbalance where the front delt is very strong relative to the rear delt the rear delt almost looks like it doesn't you know it's just not there <laughs> but it does it makes up a huge huge part of the shoulder complex whether it be you know you make a good point with the side tricep the side chest or anything else but that back double by that rear double by that side delt should be smaller than the other two heads you're gonna see yeah. it in 99 of, out of 100 pros if you if you watch if you look look at a lot of competitors that have Let's say I'm going to just give you a general assumption. They've been lifting for five to seven years. They start competing once or twice. Then they really get into it. One of the main things people go, damn, I need more of is rear delts because they got kind of neglected at the start. And, uh, you know, I, I, because I've been, been with a ton of people that, you know, hey, I need more rear delt because this never did them or they didn't do much for them. Yeah. You know. And that, that's, that it seems to be something always trying to somebody's trying to make up for when they get in a higher level of competition. Right. They got to have that rear delt, and, and it's kind of an odd situation because the front delt tends to grow more during chest work. They grow indirectly. They're they're kind of a you know a secondary muscle when you're training chest, and the rear delts don't. You would think that they would from rowing and things like that. And I think the rear delt gets a lot of work, but it's such a small muscle that it's almost like it. It yeah, it gets used to those to the back row movements. Mm -hmm. And you really have to I mean, think about it, you can row, you know, 225, 275, 315. But you're going to dig into some rear delt laterals, usually with 35s, 40s, maybe 45. And that's what's going to make them grow. It's kind of bizarre when you when you think about it, the rear delt does not act like the front delt when it comes to progress and indirect work, in my opinion. I used to use T-bar rows where you put your pad in, you know, chest in the pad and go with a lightweight and instead of rowing it like a, like a back row, I'd row it with my hands and my elbows coming out. So my hands coming up towards the more of the front of my delts. And, uh, you know, the problem you can get, you can get a lot out of rowing for your rear delts, but most people look like they're screwing, you know, like they're in the middle of an orgy humping up and down all over things and moving. If you back the weight off and use really good form, it'll hit the rear delts. Yeah. Once you start swinging and swaying a little bit and trying to use momentum, they're they're out of the play. I think another thing that gets lost too is if you're going to press overhead and you have weak rear delts, don't use machines as much and don't use the Smith machine. The rear delt acts as a stabilizer in overhead press movement. And it's, it, it, I'll tell you what, if you don't, if there's anybody listening who does not do either dumbbells or you know, regular barbell overhead presses, push press, behind the neck press, that sort of thing. Start doing them without a machine and without a Smith machine and tell me if your rear delts don't blow up simply just from stabilizing that that weight hmm. during that movement. It's pretty crazy. 
All right. Well, it sounds like we got some good stuff out here. Let's take a quick break, guys. Then we'll come back and we'll answer a bunch of questions. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for watching another podcast here at Think Big Bodybuilding Media. And thank you to our great sponsor, TrueNutrition.com, for making this all possible. TrueNutrition.com is owned by Dante Trudell, the creator of DC Training. He wanted to create a supplement company that offered high-quality third-party tested supplements at a fair price. High-quality protein powders, just about every type you could think of. Huge variety of flavors, plus health and performance supplements. Check them out, TrueNutrition.com. And hey, if you use our code ADVICES, you directly support our podcasting. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the program. What's up, guys? Welcome we back can. to Blood, Sweat, and Gear. Time. I'm Scott Pagelli. Of course, I'm here with Skip Hill and S2H. We're back. Uh, got my shake right here. It's a Team Skip blend from True Nutrition. And uh, yeah, what do we got? We got a bunch of questions. I know, Scott, we were supposed to talk SARMs today. That was one thing. It wasn't technically a question, but we were supposed to talk SARMs. Let me warm my brain up. That's all I got. That's all I know. What's up with SARMs? What about them? <laughs> oh, you want me to talk about them? Uh, well, yeah. I just watched that. Uh, I watched that Nat Geo special. Uh, and it was uh, the, what was the name of the show, Scott? Uh, Traffic. Trafficked. Yes. Yeah, it had a had a Tony Huge on there, and he was the best marketing dude. Dude scored the biggest sixty minutes of free marketing ever. But it was all about SARMs, and so it got in my head. So I was thinking about it. He was and, uh, um, Skip. You didn't watch it, but it was interesting, and they 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 did it really well. And they the way they what do you what? Let me ask you this, Scott. What do you think the general public will get from that show? What do you think that they will get? Uh, how will they read? Because I mean, at this point, that makes you know Tony Huge a representative of bodybuilding. Where, what do you, um, how do you think the general public will read that? So th this isn't a knock on him or anybody on the show, but the perception of a normal, per an average person, I would think, I, I can kind of speak for a normal person, but not, is they probably get a more or not a, not a better view of bodybuilding probably a more distorted view. Um, and it's, it was a little complex because obviously the, the, the people that produce the show didn't know anything about steroids because it was really kind of all over the place a little bit. But I don't think when you're talking about, so there was a lot of talk about this SARM that he had. He had it in a, in a vial that didn't have a label on it, something he's coming out with. And I don't think the average person, I would think, wouldn't would even know what a SARM is. You know, okay. and so that would I think it would have been been confusing for people watching it. And the whole concept of that series trafficked is about, you know, trafficking humans, trafficking cocaine. She's following this trail of, of what's going on in the world. That particular program really didn't have anything to do with trafficking so much um, that I, you know, in my opinion. Okay. But it, I mean, the, I mean, he scored big, dude. When, it, when they, whenever they hit him up for that, he, he I'm sure he jumped on it because it was a Tony Huge supplement company marketing bonanza for 60 minutes, and, and he took advantage of it. But yeah, I mean, come on, they were showing like a pool party. Everybody's got, I mean, how many pool parties you go to? People are walking around with a syringe on each ear, and everybody's just pinning each other, like you know, hey, buddy, boom. You know, I mean, unless you're with Tony, <laughs> unless you're with when I was yeah. with Tony, I don't know. Maybe with him, it's normal. I, I just never well, seen nothing like that. But when I was with Tony at the yeah, Olympia, we were at party. City Athletic Club. He had a syringe on his ear there. Who did? Tony. Who? 
Oh, okay. Well, then there you go. He's kind of eccentric, I guess, you know? Yeah. I mean, listen, the people who did that documentary, they knew full well who he was. They had a background because typically when you do it, when you do something like that, you do want to sensationalize it. You want to have a little bit of shock value and they got what they asked for. I don't think it's any coincidence that he ended up on there. My opinion. I didn't see it. No, no, I I know enough about it. No one else would get on there probably. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They they knew they had heard through I'm sure numerous people and they went after him and they got him and they got exactly what they wanted and again I didn't see it but I know enough about the guy that I you know, everything you're explaining I didn't see it. I know this is how it went down but you, but the average person would have been really lost I think just watching that what was that what was that injectable sarm he had so so here's the thing there was they he never said but i pretty much i'm well, pretty on, sure i know hold what on, i'm gonna set it up let me set it up for okay. a second for skip and for everyone else uh he's at the olympia which i saw him there and he told me he was working on this this thing with nat geo in fact we did like a little two minute video that i threw up on the internet um and, and he said but we can't say the name that it was national geographic he was working with at the time but he was there helping this kid who competed as an amateur in classic and uh, the way they set it up, they're like he got he got smeared. He didn't he like he didn't catch the judge's eyes in the first round in the more uh, yeah. you know the in prejudging. And they're like, but he's hoping that he can muster up you know some points in the second round and make a comeback. Because that happens all the time. We, yeah. They, yeah, amateur bodybuilding. We know that it's all judged in the morning. You just come back and pose. And so there. So Tony was like, all right. You know, if you want, we could do a real dangerous cocktail. We'll do a three-hour transformation with you right here for Nat Geo. And they took him back to the house, and they gave him uh, some Insulin. growth hormone. Yeah. You, you take Insulin. it from here. Take it from here. He gave him uh, Humalog. No, no, Humalin R. Growth. IGF. Uh, DES. Some kind of... Uh, uh, What's that stuff from intense muscle skip? The shit, the um adenosine monophosphate. Yes, that thing. Yeah, gave AMP. him some of that. Uh, he gave him how many units of growth did he give him? Ten? It was like five. Five? Yeah, it wasn't crazy. Some, then he had him eat rice and cereal. You know, I mean so I, I can only take it in work? context of the, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. I totally cut I can only take it in context of was the AMP, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean well, the insulin. You know, I can. I mean, the kid actually looked more, a little more vascular. Yeah, he started to sweat because AMP was making him sweat. But when he got on stage, I don't think he looked any different. I mean, you know, I don't really get the growth IGF thing with it. Uh, I don't really know what that's about. Yeah. Oh, and he gave him another shot of that of his of his new SARM that's that's uh, not labeled. That obviously is not very is a little painful going in because the kid was like wincing every time he gave it to him. Because basically, they took the SARM all the time and like. If you had to go to the bathroom, he took it. If he went to lunch, you know, he was like toting the shit around with him. Everywhere they went, they're in the car doing it. You know, it's like, hey, you know, I got to talk on the phone. Here, you need some more of my SARM. Stick him with it. You know, but it's an injectable form. I mean, I'm sure he's coming out with it. I mean, there's really only one thing it probably can be. I would think it's probably C6, which is a, um, it's not very bioavailable. And so it's, it's, uh, they take, uh, they put a Sino group on it, so it makes it injectable, and it's S twenty three is what it's called. It's either that or there's a, there's a there's a uh, Barrett Myers Squibb has a new one out. I figured the name of it. it's like BMS five something, 
that probably can be converted to an injectable. But I mean, most SARMs are pretty bioavailable orally. Um, that particular one isn't, so I'm, that's what I'm thinking. He probably is the one he's using for this product. Um, but most of them are pretty bioavailable. You know, they're, they're, there's no alpha alkylation. They're not methylated. So, um, you know, that's what I would think. Now, there's some other trial ones out there. But you also got to remember, too, people call stuff SARMs that aren't really SARMs, too. And I'm not saying his isn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. But there's a – like people say MK677 is a, a SARM. It's a secretagogue. It's not a SARM. Yeah. You know, I thought for they, some reason it was in the same family at some point. No, you know, like YK11. sense. Yeah. You know, people th- throw a lot of these a lot of these stuff in the SARM category because it's catchy. Mm-hmm. It's a cool name. You know, it's a SARM. When really you got Austerin, uh, Ligandrol, uh, Red 140, S23, S, S4, remember the old one? Uh, Anadrin, you know, stuff like that. But there's not a whole lot of really true SARMs. And really, S23, the C6 conversion, is really pretty. Is really not as selective as all, as a SARM should be. It's actually a little a little more unselective. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of like it is a SARM, but it's a little more aggressive. But you know, there's, there's a lot of SARM stuff. You know, it's just uh, SARMs are. I think people get confused by them because they because people group shit in the category that's not really a SARM, and then you have to figure out what is what. But you know, I mean, look at the ratios of SARMs. I mean, I don't really see where, you know, you'll read these articles, people sell them, and they're like, oh, they're just as good as test- testosterone. No, they're not. You know, I mean, <laughs> no if you're milligram per, if you let's take um, like uh, LDG, was it 544, draw, whatever it is. No, it's 40 something, 4036 or 33 or something. So it's like milligram to milligram ratio-wise, similar to testosterone, anabolic to androgenic. Okay, but what are you going to take, a 1,000 milligrams of that stuff a week? You know, I mean, I don't really get it. And plus, you know, all your steroids have other pathways to growth. You know, a SARM just binds to the androgen receptor. Testosterone, aromatase, conversion. Mm. If you take an oral in the liver, IGF release, uh, you know, some steroids, Dynabol lowers your cortisol. I mean, so there's a lot more things that steroids, anabolic steroids do for you for growth. A SARM is a one is a, is a one trick pony. It's an androgen receptor modulator. Now, I'm not saying it can't work, but there's no way on earth that a SARM is going to give you what a steroid can in, in even in like dosing. Um, you know, I, I, you know, you'll say people will say, oh, you can take Osterin and it's like taking a high dose of Anavar. Well, no, it's not. I mean, it's, it's impossible because the anabolic to androgenic ratios of steroids are much higher, you know, and you don't have any other pathway of, of growth through SARM. So do they work? Yeah. Yeah. I still think they're more of a chick drug um, or maybe somebody just wasn't used steroids. But like some of these, like that S23 is pretty suppressive. Um, the one, um, the BM, the... Uh, the one from Bear Meyer Squibb, that thing's got a pretty high suppression rate for HPTA. I mean, it's like 30-something times more than any other SARM. Um, the S23, you're probably going to have to do – you're probably going to get suppressed off of it if you take Just it for about a month. From what I've seen, I've, I've used yeah. Osterine with a few clients that you know were natural otherwise, and they saw a little bit of suppression from it. It's, yeah, Osterine's the lightest, lightest one. But they still yeah. saw something. You know, they still – it wasn't completely selective as far as – you know, what I had seen in my experience, it wasn't yeah. a totally free lunch. 
Well, I'll put this to you this way too. So Austerin MK2866 was designed by Merrick, which is owned GTX and Merrick are the same company. So GTX brought that on the, started testing it in 09. Okay. And now S23, which is the newer version is also under trials with GTX. So what does that tell you? GTX decided that Austerin probably doesn't have what it takes. And a lot of these have been in clinical trials with them for since, you know, 2012, 13. I don't think big pharma, sometimes when people, big pharma doesn't release something. People think, oh, it doesn't work. Well, no, it doesn't make them enough money. That's what they look at. You know, is this going to be, is this going to make us a billion dollars or whatever they need to make off everything? And so they don't bring it out. But I think, with Austerin, with them, with GTX now working with S23, I think they've kind of decided that Austerin MK2866 is probably not the one they want to go with if they're going to go with something for, you know, male hormone replacement type stuff. Yeah. Skip and I don't know a lot about SARMs. We don't do the SARMs. Well, I mean, my brain opened up because I used to kind of deal in that realm for a while. Yeah. So sometimes things get trapped, like behind my crusty one brain cell and has to come out. Yeah. So. There are two type of people, though, that make the claim that SARMs are like steroids. The first one is the owner of the SARM company. Yeah. The second, the second one is someone who uses SARMs typically has not used steroids. So it's probably so much more progress than they were seeing before. And it's so obvious that that started when they started the SARM, that they make that comparison, having never used anything like Anavar or anything that they can compare it to. Because anybody who has taken any type of steroid and takes a SARM is going to be, is going to be pretty disappointed. They would well, never make that claim. I think too, one of the, one of the, one of the attractions to SARMs was they fell in the gray area for a while. Now they are legal to purchase now. So they're scheduled. So they're scheduled as, as, uh, as, uh, uh, you know, they're testing them. So when the, when the pharmaceutical companies test them, it's not FDA approved, it's still illegal to sell for human use. But at one time they fell into kind of that gray category. So I think people that didn't want to go to the completely the dark side or wanted to stay in that kind of quote unquote legal realm yeah. went the SARMs route. But, um, now, you know, out. it's still illegal to sell them or, or uh, use them. Check this out. Andrew Nolan says, uh, we use Osterine one milligram intravenous for chronic bone muscle wasting conditions for inpatient in the hospital I worked at in Florida. Yeah, that's one of the uses for it. That's crazy. I didn't know they're doing I mean, that. I mean, and SARMs don't, most of them don't have a lot of side effects, you know, because it's a selective androgen receptor. So it's going, and it selects mostly the tissue and the bone. Yeah. So it's not going to the prostate, um, you know, in places like that. So, yeah, there's some there's some upside to it from a side effect standpoint. But I know somebody took some of that S23 and freaking blew up like a water balloon. Had blood pressure went out, you know, went up pretty high. Yeah. So. Now, this isn't Andrew's problem because he just provided valuable information. I know myself when when I was reading it, I was like, wow, I didn't know that. But let me tell you. There is at least one guy right now listening to the show going, hmm, if I just crush that shit up and put it in water, I want it. it. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. Man, oh, man. 
right. We got a bunch of questions here, guys. I'm going to head over to the group. Anybody who's got any questions here watching the live feed, feel free to uh, to throw them in. I see we got a couple of them posted. We will get to your questions. We're going to start right here, though. All right. Um, what do we got? I don't know if we want to do this one. Alex Wainvin. He says, um, how about a compilation of the best worst the best worst ideas or crazy questions on gear training diet etc that you've ever been hit with by new year's resolution crowd crowd in the gym or on social media oh god we don't even have the time we could go on for days i'm <laughs> right. sure right i think the one thing that in, this might not be exactly what he's looking for and i understand this but the one thing that pops into my head that drives me nuts about new, new year's resolutions is the four to five, maybe six days prior to New Year's, when you're with a group of friends or and there's that person that has had just a little bit too much to drink and they feel like they need to tell you about all the things they're going to do after the first of the year. They've got a plan in place and all that sort of shit. But as far as the details of, of specifics, man, I... I, I don't know that I can. I probably will if you guys talk about it and you come up with a couple of things. I'll think of something, but off the top of my head, I'm going to struggle to to come up with an example. There's so much shit. Hey, well, I will throw in there. I do New Year's resolutions actually. I know. That I I think it's like the anti thing to do because I feel like everybody always shits on New Year's resolutions, and I get it because there is that guy who's like talking about all the things he's going to do. Yeah, because I don't think they're bad in general. I don't think it's a bad idea I, at like all. People I'm, roll their eyes because it's like, and I yeah. think, what is it? It's like, the, the I don't even know what the percentage is. I'll make it up right now. 93% of all people who make New Year's resolutions quit them in the first three weeks of the year. Just keep your resolution to yourself, though. You don't need to broadcast it. Especially when there's such a high rate of failure. Just keep it to yourself. Have your little goal and don't tell anybody, especially when you're drunk about how your diet is going to be so great and you're going to lose so much weight. Just keep it to yourself. I do. So I try to set goals related to business. And that's initially what I did starting like six years ago. I was like, okay, this year, one of the years it was I want to buy a car with money. That It's when I had my day job. I was like, I want to buy a car this year. I want to do it with cash and I want to do it specifically just with money I've made training. Like that was the goal that I set for myself. And then I was like, holy shit. Like once you can achieve things, I think part of me, I, I shit on the idea before that. I think part of me was scared that I would make a re like a resolution and then fail. But now I see it as like a way to uh, a way to like, OK, it's the end of the year. Reflect on my previous resolutions. Did I meet them? And if not, then why, you know, and then what can I, what can I realistically try to achieve this year? Now I do them in like business, personal life, spirituality, I guess you'd call it, you know, not like traditional, like holy spirit. Amen. Amen, brother. Yes. Amen. I think I just, the listeners want to know, are you still driving that Chevette? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I got it for $500. It took me 11 months to save. I wonder if you still want to build your gym. You're bicycling at home. Yeah. A little so wagon. Nice. But seriously, guys, this year, my resolution, I'm going to have the sickest abs. I'm going to be in the awesomest shape. You guys are going to. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so what were we even talking about? I can't even think of anything like the dumbest question, because usually it's like I have this thing, this these reflectors where those things bounce off of me now. And I just. I can say this. It's not, and I'm not, I'm not saying this because it sounds like the right thing to say. My clients, really, 
Don't ask stupid questions. Sometimes they feel like they are because they might be basic or rudimentary, but they're not stupid. questions. The stupid yeah. questions come from people. And, and I don't, I'm running the risk of offending somebody here, but Uh-oh. it's when you get those messages that are out of the blue and they're DMS or they're, um, you know, after my, um, articles on elite FTS, not all of them, but those are where you can find some, some pretty odd, crazy questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's not usually, I don't deal with that too much with my clients. Oh, we just got a really good point about making resolutions. So get this. So the, the, uh, the problem with sharing goals, the person gets the satisfaction of keeping the resolution. So they already, they don't, okay, here's the deal that like, once mm-hmm. you say it, if I'm like, Hey guys, I'm going to get in great shape this year. I'm going to have abs. And then you're all like, Oh, good for you. Good right. for you. You know? And then it's like, I get that satisfaction of having done that thing without even having done it. And then I run my mouth to my other friends and they're like, Oh, good for you. You know, it's that I completely 100% agree with that. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people, in my opinion, don't keep those resolutions to themselves. It's almost attention seeking really. Yeah. Matt I think you should have longer term goals than doing it once a year. You should have a, a, a plan for years. You know, yeah. setting setting a setting a New Year's resolution is a short term goal. You know, maybe you could have a New Year's resolution to like not watch porn. I don't know. That's probably a good short term goal. Shitty. That's a but, shitty you know, resolution. Well, yeah, it's like terrible. I wouldn't do it, but you know, I'm just saying. Yeah. But you know, you know, like you always get the I'm going to gain 20 pounds next year. Okay, well, you better straighten out of McDonald's so you ain't tw- gaining 20 pounds of muscle. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I mean, it's I, I look at things in a longer term basis in that so i don't that's why i don't get really into the new year's resolution i call, you know, you it, I call that. a year though that's more than a short term i call that a i call that a medium term goal i don't think there's any problem with having that though you can have so it's the one seventy second goal of the average death of a, ma- a male in this country 72 years old I call so you it just a set a one in 70 second goal yeah i call that a medium term goal in the scheme of things five years is is great too i don't i think you could have both i mean if it works yeah. for you it works for there you, you go. go for it. But that's what I think. For too. me, I look yeah. at things in a longer term sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to set a goal. I could send it June 1st, you know, August well, 1st. How about like somebody who wants to quit smoking? You know, we don't like quitters. You know what I mean, though? Like, like, <laughs> listen, because you know what? When you when you quit, there's going to be relapse. You know, it's, it, it could be a process. Okay. You know, some guys will just put it down and they don't pick it back up. They're done. But it's like, hey, this year I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to commit to it, whatever it takes. I'm, by the end of the year, I'm going to be done. That's something where a five-year goal would be like, I'm going to quit smoking in five years. <laughs> I'm going to quit smoking yeah. the next decade. I could see that. I could see that. You know, maybe maybe that's maybe there's some stuff out there, but I think some people make goals that are just unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a, a huge them. thing. We could probably relate that to bodybuilding because, like, I think that if you're going to compete you need to set up a realistic goal, meaning like a realistic time frame, pick a realistic show, have ex- realistic expectations. Well, that's not realistic right now, picking a show. Yeah. You know what I mean, though? So, like, yeah. I think that the first thing you need to learn is how to set that up. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to steer it back to bodybuilding. That I think that the thing that happens is, is that people who don't know anything, they set goals that they can't achieve. Like, I'm thinking of my, is he my cousin? He's my cousin's husband. 
James, you're probably not watching this, but if you're watching this, this one's for you. Who's he, what are you talking about? He, oh, uh, your cousin's a girl. Okay. Yeah, my cousin's husband. He started competing. We started talking. He competed in October. And then he told and he had this grand plan of turning pro. It's in a natural organization and like a classic type type division. And now he told me he's getting ready for prep. He's going to do his next show in May. But he told me his goal was to be bigger. He's not setting okay. himself up for success. I don't know. No. Sorry, that was just on my mind. Are you saying because it's not measurable? It's just a his goal is basically relative. I mean, it's just I not realistic. It's not realistic. You just said bigger, though. I guess. What did I miss about not being bigger in four just, months? Yeah, he's, he's oh, a natural okay. guy. Right. Natural guy who yeah. just competed in October. But he didn't he say won. how much, right? He didn't say how much bigger he was going to be. Hey, he just getting said he quarter bigger. You want to you get pro. bigger? Enough. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's not very black and white. Yeah, it's very subjective. I would agree. He was the that. smallest yeah. guy, and he wanted. He was the smallest guy on stage by far. And next time he got on stage, he wants to turn pro, basically. Well, I'll tell you what, I, and I'm just going to use this example. Mark Hoffman from from Michigan. He was, what, 17 or 18, 18 years old, came in dead last in the team Kalamazoo, put on 100 pounds in the next year, That's came right. in at 19, won, of course, won the teenage and won the men's division open. How much did you put year. on? 100 pounds. What's his name? I gotta find this guy. Mark 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 Hoff. Mark Hoff. Yeah, my shit is straightened up here. The wrong way. He, he, he's an old school dude from Southwest from Southwest Michigan. I don't want to give too much information away because I don't know if he'd appreciate. He gained hundred pounds in one year. He gained hundred pounds in a year. Must have been on SARMs. <laughs> and I, he was and he was a bona fide badass. I remember because he was about two two maybe three years older than me, and I remember seeing him and and I just remember thinking, man. That's what I want. I want to be like him. Dude, so like zero myostatin. Like zero. You got to figure, man, if you're 19 and you not only gain that much, but then you go and you, and it, you know, it's a local show. It was a Kalamazoo. It wasn't anything big. It wasn't a state, you know, Michigan state show. But the point is to go from being dead last and gain a hundred pounds. And then not only kick everybody's ass in the teenage division, but kick everybody's ass in the men's division too. He went on to, uh, I think win the central States and stuff. And then after that, he, I think he, he didn't keep going after that, but uh, just freak. Just freak genetics and would train like a machine. How long ago was this? This is years. This is uh, you know, late '80s, early '90s. It's a it's a while. Where ago. was he from? You said he's actually in my D, my DVD, the T, TRT DVD. I'm talking to a guy while I'm doing hack spots while I'm warming up. Oh wait, that didn't work. Never mind. <laughs> That's just <laughs> did you say he was from West Virginia. No, 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 Michigan. Oh, because West Virginia yeah. people got some some. They got some genetics out there. Oh, I got like a video of him, I think. I think this is him. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can. I can't save any of this shit. What's up? Oh, Sorry, I got my sunglasses it. on and not my regular glasses, so I'm going to have a hard time. We'll you have to make it. it really big. I can't I can't get it to come up. Anyway. I guess my okay. point is, is when you make goals like that, though, sometimes for the large majority of people, they are going to probably be unrealistic. I don't think it's bad. Here's what I think. I think if you set a couple realistic goals that are attainable and you set one that you're not sure you can get to, I think yeah. that's pretty good goal setting because you don't ever want to just cut yourself short and achieve everything. Uh, and yet you don't want to set all your goals so high and then not be able to to achieve them and it just wipes you out and it wipes your motivation out that sort of thing too i think it's also a red flag that if you're making the same goals every year hmm. you should probably change what you're, you're a little bit of your goal setting well i have the same goal every year that's to live through the year 
Matt, I can't pull your study up. We can't, I can't click on the link, but he gave us a study to give us the stats on how many people actually do fulfill their new year's resolutions. What about, uh, let's just take, let's go straight to the drugs. Any advice on uh, help with carpal tunnel while using GH? Don't use GH. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, I know. I mean, I hate, hate to say hey, that. If you but... get it, if you get it, you get it. It's one of those things where some people get it. You can, okay, I'll, I'll take that back. You can try different kits because some, uh, you know, some people, Sarah Stems have been known to give them carpal tunnel. Some people take genotropins. I mean, sometimes the, uh, you know, the type of kit, nortropin, whatever. Uh, I think Sarah Stems is the one most people I've known get carpal tunnel from. I don't know why, but, uh, you could switch up your uh, your your kit. Who you're getting? You know, who manufactures their. You know, that's yeah. that's probably what you want to do. I couldn't take metatropes because it just blew me up so much. So I mean, I think a lot of people react to things differently, and you know, it depends too. I mean, is it? <coughs> excuse me. Sorry about that. There's no avoiding that. Um, I think sometimes people when will come up with those sides, it, it can be dose related too, right? I mean. It, Maybe it's longevity just of it more, I think, than anything okay. that right. I've seen. Yeah, if you take it for a long time. But I know, I mean, there's some people that just can't take certain kits for whatever reason. They get carpal tunnel or yeah. they get the fingers that won't bend and all that stuff. But it also depends, too. I mean, you know, if how bad is the carpal tunnel? Is it just an annoyance or is it to the point where, like, you can't work because you can't type because it's actually painful? Yeah, middle finger you know, locks out. That's not good either. Walking around like, you know, eh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My fingers used to lock. My pinky fingers, my ring finger used to lock on uh, a lot of growth. So. I haven't had carpal tunnel, but I do remember on those metatropes, I, I'd have to get up in the middle of the night, usually twice, and walk around because my both my arms would be asleep from my shoulder all the way to my hand, and it hurt. Yeah. It wasn't from lying on them or anything. I had to get up to get the blood circulating so that, that it would go away so I could go back to sleep because it wouldn't allow me to sleep. You know, I do recall a buddy of mine, he used to take heat pads and put them on his arms. And he said it worked. I don't really? Know. I'm just telling you, the, you know, the ones you throw in your microwave, little hot rock pads. Yeah. yeah. But I bet he was sweating, too, when he was sleeping. That yeah. sucked. And I didn't sleep with him, so I don't know. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. I got this. I, this is a, I was excited for this one because I thought we'd have some fun with it. Uh Dennis James says the secret of getting huge is to cut gear use in half and double your food intake. He said that he ate between eight to 10 really big meals a day trying to catch up with Ronnie. Question is, how can someone eat so much and not get fat? Is it purely about genetics and some people's inability to get fat? <laughs> I'm going it's with the answer I gave before the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, and I completely agree. That's really the bottom line. Yeah, you know, I said it before the show the show started. I'll say it again. No one watching this is Dennis James and no one's chasing Ronnie Coleman. We don't have that type of genetic potential. So, you know, I understand the point he's making by cutting the gear in half because a lot of times people just use too much shit and they can sure. cut it back and, you know, their system may run a little bit more efficiently. But, you know, on the other hand, there's some people that, Maybe they need to double it. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not an advocate for running tons of shit, but there are other people that 
you know, you might want to double the <laughs> double the gear and cut back the food because if you're eating too much and it can't keep up with your metabolism, then it's not doing you any good anyway. And then you run the risk of insulin sensitivity issues slash insulin resistance, that sort of thing. So, you know, we're not, I think the large, very, very large majority of the people listening, minus the Nate Spears and people like that, they're, they're not, you know, we're not genetically superior and it's not going to, you know, I have to be careful how I say this because I would never want to imply that anything comes easy for Nate. Nate works his fucking ass off and Nate is just the name that came to mind because he, you know, sometimes listens to the show and, you know, I think we can all agree he's got, you know, pretty solid genetics relative to us. <laughs> yeah, he's done so much in, in you know, a short yeah. period of time, seven years or so. Yeah, and while we're on the topic of Nate, I mean, you did see those presses at 315, 335, yeah. whatever the fuck, the overhead presses. I mean, for fuck's sake, Nate, leave some plates for everybody else in the gym. You know, people have to squat, people have to do deads, and you're over there doing presses with the sh- fucking weights that everybody else is squatting and doing deads with. That's just rude. That's just being rude, Nate. <laughs> I like you know, that what Dennis James calls cutting in half, too. I was thinking yeah. that because think, so, yeah. think about his time. Like, people – Back then, I think they were pushing the gear really. Yeah. Like early 2000s, that was some serious gear use. You know? yeah, yeah, I mean, he could be calling cut in half going but down to gram and a half, two grams a week. I don't know. Just saying. Yeah. But even if that's the case, I mean, that's still a wise move because a lot of times at those dosages, it is wasted gear. And people tend to err. You know, as bodybuilders, we, we err on the side of more is better because if we're taking more, we don't have to wonder if we're not taking enough. And that's not just with gear. That's with protein. That's with training. That's with cardio. It's with, you know, the volume of your training, that type of shit. So, you know, as bodybuilders, we, we, we do. We tend to, you know, more is better. And when in doubt, do more no matter what it is. So I do like that component of it it's the food thing that you know and and maybe it's just a a point that he's making you need to eat more food because the off season when you're growing a lot of times you don't have to put i don't think so i subscribe to the method of more gear and prep less gear in the off season because you do have the calorie or the caloric surplus and you can grow people i won't go so far as to say that food is as anabolic as gear because that's not I don't believe that's true, but I understand when people say that the point that they're trying to make, and that is food is far more anabolic than most people think it is. Oh yeah. And they don't give it enough credit because when you're in a surplus, you don't need a lot of gear. You just don't need a ton of it. When you're dieting when you're trying to get lean, more gear is beneficial because it's going to help you to hang on to muscle tissue. When you're Thanks, running guys. on that stuff, yeah, you could have just muted your microphone. We have the I same. Thought I, could, I you, tried to. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and they complain about me spitting. Yeah, blow exactly. your nose all over. He's not, he didn't do it once. He did it twice. He did it yeah. twenty minutes. Oh, ago. I can't help but blow my nose. I've been trying to put the microphone on mute every time. Uh, yeah, it's, it's either that or I just sit here and sniffle the whole time. People don't want to hear that. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I can't help it if I've got allergies. We still love you. <laughs> I think. Um, I think, though, if we really look at it, cutting gear in half does not in itself make you bigger. Take less no, gear not, to grow yeah. more. Maybe exactly. you can get away with less, but I don't think the answer is cut the gear in half. That's for sure. I'm, I'm going to guess his reasoning behind that was people just take too much gear. Yeah. 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 yeah but yeah. you're right. Directly, you're not going to cut your gear and then be like, oh, my God, all of a sudden I'm growing. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. What else do we got here? Uh, best time of day to take GH in the off season? Uh, would it still be worth using only on training days on uh, bodybuilders 
for, for bodybuilders on a budget? Two I use every other day. That's all you need, huh? Yep. Maybe yeah, three. we don't. Maybe three. Whatever divides your vial the best mathematical solution. Are you still doing every other day, Skip? No. Not either. <laughs> and I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I do. I still go with five days, but I do a kind of a, it's a two on one off three on one off. Okay. It's, it's just, you just have to design your own way. Is it? Well, is it I'll tell you training? what, I don't do the every other day because I just honestly don't feel like it's enough. It may be, but I don't feel like it is. So because I did, I did try it. Yeah, well, and like I said, I don't have the, the blood work to prove that it's any, you know, any better as far as blood levels or, or anything like that. But um, that's just something that's what I feel comfortable with. And I feel like that's better. The first couple of weeks of going back on, I'll go every day. Um, just kind of to get How do you my, your IGF levels up. How yeah. Do you just get everything going. And, how do I judge them or yeah. You know? Like do you, do you take them like on non-training days or you just go three on one off, two on one off? Yeah. I don't think it really, matters in training day versus non-training consistency day. is what matters yeah exactly um now for me it does so happen that my wednesdays that i don't dose i don't train typically mm-hmm. uh if i'm on a regular schedule holidays and stuff are an exception and then i don't i don't i don't dose it on wednesdays and saturdays and i don't train in those two days but i do dose it on sunday and i don't train on sunday and that's my load day so you know it's i i don't want to go because I contemplate this two on, I train two on, one off, two on, two off. So I train Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I thought about just taking it on my training days, not because I thought it'd be more effective on my training days, but because it's easier to remember to be consistent, Yeah, uh, you know, with your routine. So then what I did was I'm like, I don't want to be off for two days straight. So I'm just going to make my two days that I'm off Wednesdays and Saturdays. And that's what I've stuck with. And I'm, I'm pretty black and white. A pretty structured guy, so I stick with that. Even if my training changes and stuff, you know, I that way I know when I'm dosing it. Can you tell the difference in your recovery when you're using growth versus not using it? I'll tell you what I notice more than anything because I don't notice much of a difference with recovery. It might be there, but I don't think it's enough that it's obvious. What I do notice is I will get leaner. It's yeah. that's the thing that I notice the most. I get leaner. It usually takes two, three months for me to see, and I just, all of a sudden I get, I'm not, you know, saying that at that point I get shredded and it's like doing cardio or, you know, cleaning T3, drinking it by the bottle. I'm not saying that. What I am saying though, is that's the obvious sign for me that I, that I notice. And I go, oh, shit's working. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, you probably have very limited natural GH output, so. And I don't doubt yeah. that. I mean, at 50, I can't imagine that my levels would be all that high. I agree it with could that. Be, you could have some, but it's probably pretty low. Yeah, it, I noticed that though at right around that two to three, I'd say probably at about eight weeks, uh, give or take, you know, a week or so. But right around eight weeks, I typically notice. And, you know, you talk about the fullness and the 3D and stuff. That's kind of, that's a little bit more subjective and stuff. I do feel fuller on it, but it's not something like I get to walk around and feel like I'm pumped all the time and, yeah. and things like that. But I, I noticed the clothes. I can tell in my clothes because like last year, I'd leave the country for a few weeks at the time, at a time visiting Victoria or traveling. And so I'd stop growth and, and I could tell that my, even if I was just going to her house, diet was the same, still training and all that, that like my clothes would start feeling looser and then I'd go home and then a week later back, I'd be boom, blowing right back up. 
I can't remember who it was. I think I can't remember what show it was on, but it was somebody who had talked to Luke Sando about it who said he didn't really feel like growth did a lot other than give him like more of an inflated look. It might have been even Dave Crossland that talked to him about it. And so that he liked it because he is in the public eye. And that yeah. way he could always have that like, you know, more heavily inflated look, which obviously for a pro bodybuilder, it would be, you know, more marketable to look that way all the time, you know. Now, I'm not saying that he that his assessment wasn't accurate, but you do have to wonder too about the placebo effect because sure. when we're on, we always feel like you know it's like you miss one meal and you're or you're late for a meal for two hours, hour yeah. and a half, and you're like, oh, I'm flat again. It's like, come on. I can tell. <laughs> like the day after tell. your last pin, you're like, oh, I'm not as strong. Yeah, I exactly. Tell, I can tell in how my clothes fit when I like if. I'll go through a phase where I'm like, oh, yeah, shit, I didn't order any bacteriostatic water or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'm off of it for a couple of weeks or whatever. And then I, or I forget. I'll go through phases where like I just forget to take it. And then I can tell it's like, oh, shit, I need to get back on that. Yeah, I have to leave myself like serious reminders. I have to really get in a groove because I'll forget. Yeah. Yeah. Shit, I don't ever forget to take my gear. Fuck you guys. I'll forget to train before that. (laughs) (laughs) What else do we have here? Um, Ooh, another growth hormone question. Why is it recommended that GH needs to be taken for an extended period to be effective? It has such a short half-life and it's not building up the way that long estrogen oils would. So why is it necessary to l- run length versus shorter bursts? This is Matt Marshall. Because you're maintaining your IGF levels elevated for a long period of time. But why is that important? Well, IGF is, I mean, you know, you got protein synthesis, recovery, um, you know, if you take, so I remember doing some studies where this is where I got the two on the one, you know, every other day yeah. to where run it for, I think it was, there was a couple like two month periods every day and then come off of it. It would take like three or four weeks for your, for about three weeks for, well, I'm trying to think maybe two or three weeks to your IGF levels started dropping, but once they started dropping, they dropped really fast. Um, so by sustaining that every other day, I, I, I make context too. I'd start out with like seven or 10 days in a row every day and then go to the every other day. And usually you could, you could get your IGF levels up to where not completely all the way up, but pretty close, probably 80%. And then on the every other day, it'll build up over the next week or two. And then they'll kind of just peak, you know, they'll kind of stay at, at one certain level for extended periods of time. Just you know, of course, you know, it, it helps your metabolism and all that. So, you know, it's it's a great drug. It's but I think it's overused too. I think there's using excessive amounts of it's not worth it. You know. I have to wonder with him question posing the question the way he did. I wonder if he's asking about uh God, I gotta be able to explain this right. Uh, my brain is a little scattered. But um Here's an example. I have said numerous times, not only to my clients, but on this podcast and and in conversation stuff for years, that I recommend that people, if you're going to take growth, that you should take it for a minimum of six months, especially if you are just using it for the first time. And the reason that I recommend that longer length of time is because if you're going to invest the money, you need to take it long enough to be able to accurately evaluate whether it works or it doesn't. And I think it's harder to evaluate whether you feel that it's working or it doesn't because the effects are relatively subtle compared to steroids or a gear cycle. 
Okay. So the longer you take it, and I think a lot of people recommend, they may not recommend six months, but typically you'll hear recommendations. I know I've heard them, you know, of at least three months three or four months, months or five yeah. months. Yeah. So if you get underneath that time period, I think it's just, I think it's more difficult to evaluate how effective it is and how well it works, how well it works for you. Versus Slow impact compound. It keeps on giving, but it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, versus it being less effective. Uh, I agree with you as far as the IGF levels and, and things like that, the climbing IGF levels and the uh, you know the falling IGF levels when you stop it. So you don't want to run it too short because then you're just in a period of where they're either climbing and they haven't reached you know 100% blood levels or they're not maxed out, and then you're turning around and you're coming back down. They're declining and they're falling off a cliff quite rapidly when you stop taking it. So if you take it longer, those two things happen. Your IGF levels remain constant for a longer period of time, like S2H was saying, but you also can evaluate better because you've taken it longer to see if there is or to be able to evaluate what that progress is and if you see a difference or not. Yeah. If you're not patient, GH is probably not for you. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I hate, I hate to say this because it's a lot more cost effective than it used to be, but it still can dig into your pocketbook so much more than regular gear that if you don't have the money, it's going back to that question that the guy asked a few questions ago about GH and, um, you know, trying to stretch your money out. So, Sometimes in situations like that, I'd say, look, if, if you if you feel like you got to stretch it, just, you know, don't use it, yeah. you know, build up, you know, build up some funds, start putting, you know, a few bucks aside for your, you know, your GH fund or whatever you want so that you can run it the way you want to run it. Because here's the thing, again, coming back to if you don't run it enough of it or you don't run it consistently enough or it's not a high enough dose, you're not really going to know if you respond well to it either. So at least that first, go, yeah, that first go round really should be very consistent. I don't think you should be too low on your dosage uh, for the first run so that you know whether it's working. You get a good idea of whether it works or not. Because after that six months, if you don't feel that it works that well, then save your fucking money. You know, buy more gear, buy more Team Skip Protein, buy more stuff from Elite FTS. Of which I don't have a discount code. I'm gonna have to talk to them about that. I gotta talk to Dave. I gotta get a discount code, man. I gotta get a discount code, Dave. Skip, come on. Yeah, and you know what, too? I feel like depending on what you want it for, for me, at this point, it's more of a longevity thing. You know, I do feel that I get added recovery from it, and I always want added recovery. You know what I mean? It's like I don't want added recovery for a short period of time. I want. I want like the enhanced uh, collagen synthesis. I want to be able to continue keeping my joints healthy. You know, I, I take collagen on a regular basis now, and that's giving me that the materials to then be able to let the, the GH, it's like the building blocks for the GH to then help to improve all my connective tissues. So right. I, don't, I, I don't know anything about it, how long it would take, but I feel like, like restoring connective tissue is probably a long-term thing that you're not going to get that out of it in the short term rejuvenation i think is a, a long-term thing you know like like i think about if you want your skin to look better and i've seen improvements in people's skin with growth hormone it's not something that's it's not like a d-ball where like you take it for four weeks and then you get that and so i'd have to think that it would be similar for anything including like fat loss and muscle growth that it's not going to be like a, a clen where you can take it for a few weeks and get a blast right. out of it, you know, that you're going to yeah. need 
to run it for a long and it, it, it just it it's made sense to me i guess i think age know. matters too so if i had two people and one was 22 and 42 sure they said should i take long-term growth i'd probably tell the one at 22 now nah, don't yes. worry about it right then, I then you're running on something yeah. else with no, the, you know, so as, as you get older it's 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 effects are more or more pronounced when i used it when i was younger i said numerous times like, why do I spend my money? And I swear to God, I'm not getting yeah. anything out of this. And then once I got over 40, I was like, God damn, I think this shit is really, this is really fucking working. Another way to tell too, and you guys tell me if you agree with this, but I do, uh, I, I do think that this is a good way to measure whether your growth is working. But all of a sudden, you got to clip your fingernails more often because yes. them motherfuckers are growing like crazy. Yep. Hair gets the growth. Is, yeah, the growth is working. <laughs> yeah, I got five hairs after a cycle <laughs> instead of three. <laughs> Look like you Charlie silky Brown. hair. Yeah, I use the fingernails as a as a big judgment when I have mm -hmm. to start clipping them on a more regular basis. Then I know, you know, at least that's improving. So yeah, I'll tell you yep. what. The first time I used IGF, I've never had this since. But the first time I used IGF, like all the pores on my face just like disappeared. It was the really? weirdest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, like any pore, you know, like you have irregular pores. Some of them are better than others. Some of them are bigger than others. Like all the pores just retracted and my skin looked like crazy perfect. And that happened mm. within like a week. It was it was pretty weird, man. Mm. It was it was weird. I remember I got really sick. I ended up like catching the flu while I was running that. And my girlfriend was like, it doesn't make sense because... You know, she could tell I was sick, but she's like, it's almost like you're faking because you're walking around, you're going in the bathroom, throwing up, but then you come out and you have this like beautiful, healthy glow <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> like, she's like, you don't look sick at all right now. Maybe you were just pregnant. They could. I mean, I'm just saying yeah. you're getting that's sick, another, you come out with a glow. It's another, that's another, I don't want to talk about that on the show, guys. <laughs> in the podcast. We got a few in the, in the thread here. Let me see if I can, uh, if I can bring any of these up. Um, what are your thoughts on cardio pre-workout? Um, is it such a big deal compared to post-workout? Huge. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Basically, don't do your cardio before you weight train. It's a fuel issue. Um, now, if you're just doing it, you know, a few minutes to get warm and get blood going because you train in a you know, pole barn that is in, it's in the middle of January in North Dakota. God damn, does it get cold in North Dakota? I got stories there, but I'll leave that out for now. Anyway, um, if you're doing it for fat burning purposes and that sort of thing, you don't do it before because the fuel, basically you're going to, your anaerobic threshold is going to take longer to, it's going to take longer to get to your anaerobic threshold. And what that is in layman's terms is, you know, when you start cardio, and your legs are just on fire and they're getting pumped and you're like, what the fuck? And then all of a sudden it disappears when it disappears and you feel like you can do cardio for an hour, but you really don't want to because cardio sucks. Cardio is boring. That's the anaerobic threshold. You've crossed, you've crossed over to the other side. So you will get to that anab ana anaerobic, I said anabolic, Freudian there, uh, anaerobic threshold quicker if you do it post-workout because when you weight train, your fuel source or primary fuel source is glycogen. Man. So if you deplete glycogen stores or you have glycogen stores more depleted, it's going to be quicker to get to that anaerobic threshold. And when you get to that, you're using oxygen and essentially body fat as a fuel source versus glycogen. You don't want to use any more glycogen during cardio than you, than you need to. That's why fasted cardio, well, 
I was going to say fasted cardio superior. I believe fasted cardio superior. I know that there are some trainers out there who would love to argue that till we're blue in the face because of study after study after study. It doesn't show anything different. I feel that it is different because I've seen thousands of clients and myself over the years that respond better to fasted cardio in my opinion. So don't do it before, do it after. If you're going to do it before, then do it fasted in the morning and train at night far more efficient process that way. It's just, it's not that you're not going to burn calories. You're going to burn calories no matter when you do cardio. It's just not as efficient of a process. I have the S2H method, which is if there's hot chicks on the treadmills, when you get there, do your cardio first. (laughs) If not, do it after when they're there. Dude, I used to do my cardio first all the time because if I didn't, I wouldn't do it. Well, I think it got you married. I would say this, my cardio was not exactly um, setting the world on fire. So it wasn't uh, anything too too high impact. Right. I thought I saw a study at some point where they said, whatever you give preference to to do first, you'll get more out of that, is what the study ended up saying. So if you do cardio first, then, you know, you get more cardio benefit. If you that? do training first, then you'll get more training benefit, which, you know, at the end well, of the define day. benefit, I don't. You know, I, from a body fat like actually doing it. No, but I think people do cardio, like at least listeners, primarily just for body fat. I mean, they're right. not doing we're not doing it to increase our health. That's just a side effect. We're not doing it to increase our oxygen uptake or VO2 max. That's just a side effect. We're doing it to lose body fat or to stay leaner. So mm, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, half of what you, you don't agree I do with it to that? get out of the house. Well, I know, but you're the exception to the rule on damn near everything we talk about. <laughs> I think yeah. you know that. No, I just live a real life. <laughs> Unlike Skip and I and everybody who listens to this show. You're right, there. exactly. No, there's somebody out there that agrees with me like, yeah, dude, I go walk because I got to get the hell out of the house. <laughs> somebody out there agrees with me. One person. All right. How about Proviron? Uh, thoughts on Proviron? Dosage? Is it worth trying out? Um Digging the shades skip. Ah, thank you very much. Is that James? I don't see these are my sunglasses, not my reading glasses, so I'm squinting to see. That's right. We James, had other comments like for you, Skip, about like you look Jamaican and stuff like I didn't even put those up because I knew you. Oh, okay. So I can't see yeah. them all. I'm only putting I'm only reading the ones you put up. All yes. right. Fair enough. Yes. All right. Uh what was it, Proviron? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, increase it testosterone. Is it yeah, worth your SHBG? Or yeah. it binds to it in the blood, so it frees Which up more testosterone. There you go. Yep. So it's always good. It, then it becomes a cost issue. How expensive is it? How long are you going to take it? What dose are you going to take it in? They, basically, say I was going to go that too. Let me ask you this, S2H. I believe there's really essentially zero side effects to it. You could take it long term, right? Yeah, I, not I, I used to love that stuff. Um, I'd say just in general, be careful. You get real provirin. Uh, yeah. another one that probably comes around. That's not always what it is, but, uh, really? yeah, no, Proviron works good. I mean, it, you know, if you, if you get labs and you check your SHBG and start taking it and get them again, you'll notice they drop way down your, and your free tests will come up some, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's not going to make, I don't think it's going to make you, it's one of those small pieces of the pot. It's not a huge one. Yeah. It can give you, you know, that extra 5% or whatever. Sorry, I wasn't laughing at you. I, it, it's so different being out here in the in the main room since we moved. The, it, it, 
the cats open doors and shit when no one's here and I hear the door open and it's fucking cre- and I can see it opening but I can't see the cat opening it so it's just kind of creepy and I have to laugh I wasn't laughing at you last week at least this time no I'm just hoping you get robbed while we're on camera <laughs> <laughs> some, some guy comes around with a 12 gauge behind you you jump well he's gonna have to get me pretty quick because I got my wife's Kimber right here Oh, my he hit it in his hand. He was ready. The he was Kimber. like, he heard the door. He was ready. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shoot him. I'm gonna hit him with it. Scott, God, we go over this all the time. I'm not violent like that. I don't want to. I can't do that. I can't. Ugh, just I'll just put a white Marley there. With his I'll, exactly. I'll pistol whip him. All right. Pro Byron, yes. Since go for it, Pro Byron. Since S2H was in the pro hormone scene. Um, what's the most underrated or hidden gem? Uh, were a lot of the, were a lot of them the same compound, just dosed differently with a different name on the bottle? I heard Blackstone Labs allegedly did this. So, I can only speak for one company, and I know their stuff was not. It was what it said it was. Um, I'd say probably. A hidden gem, I don't know. Probably the best one was M-Sten, which is methyl stenbalone, yeah. which was made by Iron Mag at the time. was probably the best one I liked because it gave you good results, but you didn't get a lot of sides. Uh, the one Andro was okay. I guess it was, I wouldn't call it a hidden gem, but it probably did more than people thought. And uh, no, Blackstone had the same methyl sten, just with a different name. So it was methyl stenbalone because it was the same one. Just a different what, label. What did you get from that one? I never took it. M Sten would be like, um, let's say, D Ball meets Anavar. Huh. I like that. Maybe so, kind of dry, not too, not too watery. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was. I mean, it gets pretty vascular. I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty decent. Um, you know, thirty days was enough. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I didn't have any liver problems with it, but I'm sure somebody was pissing brown after a while with it. But um, uh, I, I would say it was one of the ones that actually you knew you were taking it. It wasn't D ball level. Just say D ball dropped twenty five percent off. Like what? Maybe what kind of like gains that. would somebody get? Off I gained twenty pounds in a month. Time. Yeah. Okay. Solid muscle. <laughs> Never. No, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean. I didn't. I don't weigh myself much, but I'd say I probably put on in thirty days. I mean, it's, I was taking other stuff too, so it's. Yeah. It, I'm telling you, it's 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 like a low, it's like a low dose D ball feeling. So if yeah. you take D ball, you know you gain a little water, you a little little fuller, uh, strength help with strength a little. I mean, some of the other ones, you know, the SDs and the uh, what was that other one, uh, methyl one, uh, testosterone. Holy shit, man! I'd have had a heart attack if I took that stuff for more than two days. Yeah, it was. You had to jack your blood pressure up. Some of the stuff was pretty strong, um, but the one Andro, some people liked it. I thought it was a little bit weak. It, you know what? It, it, I'm going to give you a correlation. It's kind of like taking a gramma test and SARMs with it. I mean, what the hell are you going to get from the SARM? You're not going to know it's there. So if you're already taking a bunch of gear, some of them aren't going to do much for you. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I heard if you're already with, hitting a lot of home runs, and you take it. The very next year, you'll be in a race with Sammy Sosa, and you'll be battling for the home run. <laughs> Just what I heard. I'm saying that's what I heard. I didn't really get into the hormones that much. I think I tried a couple of them, but you know who that was? That was Omar Hurtada. He listened to all the podcasts since back in the day. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, Eric worked for the same company. Oh, did he? Yeah. No kidding. 
Um, yeah, they made some good products, but uh, that didn't end well once the they all got banned. Yeah, I can imagine that. Uh, when looking at my TRT blood work and trying to figure out if I'm getting the most out of my dosage, uh, what are the key markers to look at? Total test, free test, and SHG. Free. There you go. We're free. done. Next question. <laughs> free it all comes down to free. That's all it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can tell it's HPG levels by free. Yeah, exactly. And total testosterone versus free te testosterone. I don't even know why people pay, uh, even doctors pay as much attention to free testosterone levels or to total, total testosterone levels versus free. Free is really all that matters. So if you, if you look at blood work, full panel, hormone panel, I could, I could tell you, because I've looked at a lot of them, if you blacked out the free testosterone and you showed me the estradiol, the total, the SHBG, I could almost tell you what your free testosterone is mm -hmm. based on where those are all at. Yep. Because, you know, it's the parking lot theory. You only got so many spaces and if everything else is taking it up, you know, you don't have the free testosterone or it's not converting. You know, I mean, you see people with, you know, 1500 NGDL total tests and then they have a 200 free test. Well, that's not very good. You know, you have a poor ratio. So you got to figure out why is that ratio poor? Generally, it's estradiol is high. Uh, but SHBG can play in that too. So you kind of have to look at everything. And but if, if your like, free testosterone isn't that high, what do you throw in? Proviron. Proviron, exactly. I'll tell you, I have a lab where I had a, it was like a 998 total. I was taking Proviron. I think my free was like 620. That's like pretty kick-ass. Yeah, pretty good work. Right That's yeah. not too bad. Yeah. That's like brutal. I was like, holy shit, are these my labs? <laughs> you know. How about uh, any unique ways to make deloads less boring? I absolutely hate deloading. So I'm wondering if you all have some fun ideas that might mitigate some of the accumulated fatigue without uh, wanting to tear my hair out. Don't do it. The <laughs> don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't pull your hair out. No, I, you know, one thing I try to do with deloads, because I think everybody at their core hates them. You always hate them when things are going well and you know that you need to take your deloads proactively. Yeah. And you know, you're going to come back stronger, but you just don't want to, you know, you don't want to shit, you know, downshift. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lose your gains. But one of the things that I like to do is I'll go in and I'll do, different exercises i'll play around with stuff i'll experiment a little bit i'll use a machine that i haven't used before and damn it sometimes coming out of a load doing that i go you know what i've never used that machine i thought it would suck it actually felt pretty good I, i'm gonna i'm gonna take that into this next blast and see what happens it's happened before and it's happened a few times so try out different shit that you otherwise don't do or just switch to what i call fluff and that's just cable shit, stretch and squeeze, things that you don't normally do. And it'll give you a little bit of a different pump. It'll give you a little bit of a fresh psychological, yeah. um, you know, thing going because you're not doing the same boring stuff. A lot of times when people deload with the same exercises they're always using, yeah, I would think that would be pretty boring. And why? You might as well mix it up a little bit because you're not in the gym that week to progress anyway. You're there to basically get a pump and get the hell out of there without doing too much damage and damage in the sense of stressing your CNS and causing you want to increase your recovery and let your body catch up during that time. So play around with some shit. Play around with some fluff. I like um, that. 
try exercises that you're not normally, you know, doing. And you, you might come out of that week with an exercise that you thought that you thought, you know what, I would have never gave it, given that a shot. Otherwise. I like that. That's like a mindset change. That's like just how you're looking at it because you, you don't give yourself that freedom when you're in there and you're like, okay, I gotta, you know, when you're really focused, you don't have that kind of, you don't have that fun. I guess right. what it is. You can't have that fun. So yeah. I always tell people too: talk to people more, shoot yeah. the shit a little bit in between sets, of course, not while you're, <laughs> while you're training, but even then you're, you know, you're in there to deload, you're in there to get a pump. So, you know, have a little bit of fun, socialize a little bit, change it up a little bit, and then come back in the next week, ready, bang. One cool thing that a deload does do is about halfway through, you know you want to rip the shit out of that gym, but you have to wait until the next week. And by the time you wait and you come in, you should be ripping that gym apart. If you don't come in the next week after a deload, you didn't deload enough, or you took it reactively, yeah. you took the deload reactively, and your body is still so beat up that it didn't catch up, and re your recovery hasn't improved enough in that week where you probably still need more time to deload that's another you know topic altogether i guess yeah I, I have one for you guys this is something that a new guy asked me a new client asked me and i said hey you know we're recording blood sweat and gear and we mentioned this one time before we talked about this one time before but i figured it'd be something we could we could refresh on um what makes a, a good client if somebody wants to hire a coach what are the things that they can do to be a good client. I told him the number one thing was just good communication. You know, letting letting me know where he's at. Because I'll have people that just send pictures and send a weight and they don't say anything. And then I'm like, okay. So now I have to ask you a bunch of stuff. On the other hand, I've also had people where, well, I remember I was working with this lady one time and she was running Clen. She had just started the Clen. And, uh, and I said, well, how's the clan going? We, she, she also, we had to have a phone conversation. She was local and, uh, we'd have to talk every time she checked in. And was she was like, local or loco? Both. Local. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> she was like, uh, my point is going to be like, sometimes if people get really in depth, you have to then as the coach weed through like, well, what are the important facts I need? But I remember this one time I was like. So how's the clen going? You know, I, uh, you know, do you feel anything different? Any kind of like anxiety, anything like that from it? She's like, well, you know, there's my pool used to make a noise, and these kids came over and they fucked with it like a year ago. Now I carry a concealed weapon, so I had every right to go in my backyard with my gun when I heard people back there, and whatever they did, it's made this noise ever since then. And my neighbors have been complaining and they actually called the city. And now I have to turn my pool off until I get it fixed because I've had noise complaints about the pool. So I've had a lot harder time, you know, feeling comfortable. I have had more anxiety this week. That's called a clenfession. I don't know if you, you're not familiar <laughs> you're with pool the term, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, communication, I think is... I was going to say execution, uh, but then you said communication. I thought, you know what? That probably is more. Here's the thing with communication uh, and how I approach it with my clients too is I do feel that the more information I can get, the better, because if I don't need it, I can sift through it or I could set it to the side. Yeah. When I don't get something that the client may not think is significant or important enough, then it's like you find out two weeks later and you're like, 
damn, you didn't tell me. Why didn't you tell? I just didn't think it was important. So the communication component is huge because, of course, a lot of the changes that you're going to make are going to be based almost entirely on their feedback. I mean, their pictures, how they're feeling, answering the questions and getting the information out of them that you need to be able to assess and analyze and see if there are changes and what changes need to be made. Execution, though, is probably a very close second. I mean, you could almost go without communication. You could go without added communication or over communication if you have execution. There are those people, and it doesn't happen very often. There are those people that can execute, but they're not very talkative. They're not going to give you a bunch of information. They're just going to do exactly what you tell them to do by the book. They're not going to fucking complain. They're not going to tell you, you know, they're not going to get into their personal business. They're not going to chit chat with you or anything. And it's funny because I don't know if you guys feel this way or not. I do sometimes when that doesn't happen and you don't get that rapport, I know myself, I question, I'm like, God, am I, am I being cold? Am I, do they take me as being standoffish? Are we communicating enough? But there are just some people who are like that. They just don't care about that. They just care about the results and the execution and they have other things to do in their day and their time is limited and it is what it is. So I would say communication and execution. I can't think of anything else unless you have, well, you have something else that's to H, throw it in there. I, I might think, agree with I it. think the best oh, thing to do is right from the start, is part of communication is get the expectation. So if the yeah. coach doesn't give you an expectation of what he needs information wise, then ask mm-hmm. him, what do you sure. want me to send to you? Yeah. You know, if they don't send you a questionnaire, which I do, I mean, most people do, but you don't know what to send them say, what do you want me to send you every week? Picture front, back, whatever, uh, wait, just tell me what, and then you have expectations set and then you don't have to worry too much about it. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be pretty odd though. I mean, if you're a trainer and you're not, you don't set those expectations of, you know, what the feedback is and the information you need. You probably should be questioning yourself as a trainer. Well, I think should. people set the ex- – they don't set it firm enough, though. And then yeah, you and get the novel. Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, if someone sends me a six-paragraph email, probably it, it would better all be in the first two paragraphs because I probably ain't going to make it past that. Oh, you know? see, now I'm a little different. And this is where trainers can be different sometimes, too. And I actually – That's why you set the expectation. Yeah. And I like to know as much as I can about, I tell you what, I've had clients tell me, tell me if you guys have had this before, but they'll say something like, well, I, you know, I, this is what's going on. I wanted to tell you, but you know, you probably don't care because you got a lot of clients or whatever. If something is going on in their personal life, I'm not going to pry, but if you're going to tell me that's added information for me to empathize with your situation, you know, whether you have, you know, you, someone is sick, especially this last year, you have lost someone close to you. You've lost a pet. You're having relationship issues. Those are things I think, and everybody's different as trainers. And I get that. And I respect that. But for me, I want to know those things if they're willing to share them, because then I can understand if things aren't the way they're supposed to be, or they're off for three or four days, or they're not entirely there you can understand and you can know why versus you know tell them look you know what the fuck i mean what's going on that's and not knowing what that is when it could be something just horrible that they're having to deal with so and i'm not saying that you don't care that's not what i'm saying all i'm saying is i have a lot of communication with my clients on almost a daily basis where sometimes it can be it can be a fucking page page and a half you know, of what's going on. And, and I honestly, I don't mind it unless they're bitching me out for something. <laughs> even, even like basic stuff. I, I, one guy I'm thinking of every month, 
he has to take one week to work a night shift. And now that I know this, it's like, okay, we know that you're going to look like shit for a week. Like, why are things, if not, then I'm asking myself, like, well, why are things looking different now? Like, why are you holding a bunch of fluid and things just, you know, aren't popping? Like, we can kind of preemptively plan for that now, or at least I know to be aware of like, oh, this is why things look different. I totally agree. It's important to know that stuff. I'm talking though more about stuff like, you know, height, weight, all that comes in, information, and all of a sudden, paragraph three comes. Hey, my friend I'm working out with wants to know if he should do, you know, and you start going way down. Oh, the, like, okay. You well, know, or, system. you know, my, yeah. my girl wants to do, you know, yeah, the, the shakedown for information stuff, you know, yeah. it's not that relevant. Stay relevant to, your, to you and the plan and the coach. Don't Absolutely. wander off in like these wild, yeah, if you're having a, a, a divorce, or you're having like big problems, yeah, that, I want to know that, but I don't want to know that why your workout buddy can't bench 225 and what he should do. Let me throw one more thing in there. Let me see if you guys agree. I bet you will. How about this one? My buddy, I was, or I, not my buddy, I guess client or buddy. I'm helping so-and-so, my buddy, with a show, but I really don't know how to do diuretics or something. You know, I'm just helping him out. I don't have a business or anything like that. I'm not making any money. You know, I just, I wonder what your protocol. No, bitch, I am Ten not. Number one, they're not fucking paying me. And number two, that just they're not paying me. <laughs> they're not a client. That, that you get hit up on the last the last day that the, the plan ends. Hey, what should I do for the next year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Got any advice for the next six months until I can work with you again? Yeah, save your money, bro. No, that's cold. But it was funny. <laughs> All right, I think we have one more over here. Let's see, what was it? Um, it? Oh, I like this one. Advantages, disadvantages to training at night on a regular day shift. Um, any ways to make it more optimal? Ooh, I got one. I always train at night. So no, why is training at night not optimal? I guess I don't know. How about this? Yeah. I got one for you. That if you train at night, well, you can, you can, never mind. It wasn't a good one. I was got trying more to food in something. you. What you do have more food in you. You don't have more post window, post workout window of time. There is that. I what do you mean? Well, I personally like. Up. It, well, if you have to go to work the next morning and you have to get right to bed, I've had it where it can be a little bit of a cramp in a style in style where it's like you train and then you have to eat and then go straight to bed. I personally, oh, I, I like to be That's able to weird. get a few meals in me, train, and get a few more meals in me. Obviously, I'm not the same everybody way. has that. Not everybody has that. Some option, of us has real jobs, so we can't do right. that. Right, right. So, yeah, you know. I can't relate. Neither can Scott. <laughs> but yeah, I'm the same way. I usually do three and three or four and three. I'm the same way. I thought you were going. The reason I questioned you was I. I thought you were maybe going down the path of. Well, you can't take in, you know, simple carbs post workout because it's right before bed. And then I thought about it, and I'm you like, can't have carbohydrates at night. Like you that. Don't, I know. Well, skip because you can't <laughs> eat carbs after six p.m. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it was funny that I thought that. I went, "What the fuck? I would never think that. Why would I think that?" But a lot of people do. A lot. Well, maybe not a lot, but there is that percentage that they still have that archaic 
mentality, whether they write it on the boards or something, because it used to be a big thing on the boards, you know, or, but it's just different. So if anybody's wondering what I mean, it's different. If you train at night, you have a need for those carbs, whether it's before bedtime or not, because you just train those carbs are going to restore glycogen. They're not going to be stored as body fat. Now, if you're eating a bunch of simple carbs, like rice checks or some shit like that, right before you go to bed. Yeah, exactly. Then there's not much use for that. And you know, your, your body's going to store it one of two ways, glycogen or body fat. So it is what it is. That's all we got, guys. That's the end of the show. I mean, technically, yeah, it's not the end of the show. The best stuff is still going to happen, but <laughs> that's the end of our that's, questions. That's the end. That's all there is. What are you doing with training, Skip? What's going on with that? I saw you pressing. What were you, what were you doing? You were doing the uh, pendulum squat. Yeah, I'm about six weeks back into my leg training and I'm just freaking loving it because I can do everything 100%. I'm trying to be smart about it. I'm, you know, my body wants to grow, the poundages want to go up, but I'm trying to be careful and focus more on intensity than just piling the weights on. But it does feel pretty good to get that full blown, and especially through my glutes and my hamstrings, because I was still able to train my legs with like sissy squats and leg extensions. So I had a little bit of a quad pump the whole time, even when I was recovering from my hip injury, but not through the glutes. Now when I get a glute pump, I'm like, oh yeah. So it's like a hundred percent now? Yeah. Well, as far as I know, You're it's supposed good. to be it better be yeah good. no it feels, it feels great so even just to get back in you know, i'm doing a lot more lunch work which is funny too because we were talking about the deload and going into the deload and trying to maybe find an exercise that you you know that you might go oh you know i didn't think about doing this and you had an opportunity to do it i did the same thing when i was injured and i started playing around with sissy squats and i'm like god damn i gotta take this exercise into my off season because it just destroys your quads so what i do is i replace leg extensions with sissy squats probably two out of three sessions and man, it just rips. I can already see my rectus femoris, you know, coming out more than it ever did with leg extension. So, you know, I'm also doing more glute work uh, than I ever did before. I'm doing a lot more lunges, um, you know, just trying to get more direct glute work. Now, part of that is for the strength and stabilization, you know, of my glutes and things like that. But, I also thought to myself, never done a whole lot of lunging in, in my year. And I'm thinking, well, I want my legs to grow. Yeah. Maybe I should revisit this. So it's funny too, because when you're off with an injury, you have a lot of downtime and you have a lot of time to think that are running and chasing, you know, everything you got to do in a day, it gives you more downtime to think about your training and what you're going to do when you come back. And I think that that in the end is, it's one of the things in my coach log that I said out of, out of 2020, it was one of the five positive things that I took away from, 2020. Yes, it was an injury, which was a big negative. And yet I was still able to pull something out of that that was positive that I could take into 2021. And and I think it'll help. I mean, you know, we'll see how it goes, but it just feels really good to be back and bomb, bomb legs again. Shit, man. Do you feel like you would consider competing in 2021? You know what, if I did or 2021 or 22 or 23, and, and I mean, no, disrespect by saying this, I wouldn't even tell you guys, let alone listeners. This last year was very, very difficult. I had problems in the past, but this one was really hard because I didn't cause, I didn't cause it directly cause it. I drove myself into the ground a couple years ago. That was my own doing. It was just kind of bad decision-making, you know, the more is better type thing when in doubt, you know, work harder. Uh, I didn't do anything this time. And it was, every time you have to explain to somebody, 
what happened and why you weren't able to finish it. It's just like another knife in the gutter, a kick in the balls. And I won't ever do that again. I'll either show up on stage and then talk about it, or I just won't get back on stage. Okay. Yeah. Like we're not yeah. going to know if you're prepping. You, I'm sure That's that I would get point. questions. My face will start to come in and I'll get lean as shit and that sort of thing. But it's incredibly unlikely that it would be this year. Not, not only just because of what happened last year, but I need my legs to grow. I want to bring my legs up. And I still believe that there won't, that shows are going to be up in the air until at least July, maybe even into the late summer, at least. Yeah. So it's not on my radar at all um, right now. Could something change? Hmm, I guess it could, but I really want to get into this leg training and, you know, enjoy not being, I don't want to say hungry all the time, but stringy and face sunk in and everything else and enjoy a pump and <laughs> in training, you know, normal and just killing my legs, to be honest with you. Yeah. It, I, I've been thinking about what I want to do and I'm thinking, cause I hadn't competed since 2017 the end of it, November was the last one. And then I didn't compete for 2018, but I didn't try to grow either. I just like focused on podcasting stuff, focused on other clients and had like a, had a lot of really good success that year too. Um, 2019, kind of same thing. Plus I had like the whole divorce thing all went down and all that. Right. 2020, I got, I started putting on size again and I don't feel like I'm done with that i don't want to compete again unless i can actually get on stage and look different so i'm gonna but you're not running out of years like i am seriously and i know Dude, that I sounds feel like good. i am i feel like I, I am you know i know i still got i know i still got some in me but i don't know how many so yeah. even just this covid thing makes me nervous because at least without covid i can make that decision myself with covid it makes it a little bit more difficult i feel a little cheated to be honest with you i know that sounds kind of i feel that cheating. way too i feel cheated I, I feel like i was cheated out of a year really yeah i, I think like you know honestly I agree. And outside of bodybuilding, just completely remove bodybuilding. I think a lot of people should be cheated, feel cheated, not be cheated, but should feel cheated because it was such a limiting year. You can't even go see your goddamn family members when they're in the hospital. You can't go to a funeral because you can't have a funeral service. And I'm not arguing whether we should be able to or shouldn't be able to for lives or anything else. I don't want to get into that. Right. But we should all feel cheated because we're missing out on quality of life until this shit goes back to normal if and when really it ever does i didn't feel cheated you live in texas you don't do anything dude <laughs> you, you sit in, in your chair you go to your job <laughs> you know you, you weren't I feel, I, my, my year was pretty, pretty 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 good you work at you were you train at home though right no i'm never no? home I thought no, I know, but I thought you worked out at home. I, no, oh, I have a I have a gym. Well, you got to remember yeah. though, like he didn't work out for most of the year. Well, define working out. That's what you need to define. Well, you said, like, I've, you got, I've got some twenty five pound dumbbells, and I've got <laughs> you do He's curls for an hour and a half. I got some. Uh, I go for a four mile walk every night. That's not training. That's not. I still training. kick your ass. I'm not saying you won't kick my ass. You probably would kick my ass. And if you didn't, or by some chance you couldn't, you'd be able to take me out with two in my chest and one in my head. I don't question that. <laughs> not, and then like the hide my that. body so that nobody could find my body. I get that. But I'm saying I, that. You know I, I do have some stuff to do this year, though, that COVID will not impede fully, but it, you know, it impeded. 
there was something I wanted to do this year that I've done in the past, but I wasn't able to because it was too spread out with the, the virus shit. So, but you were still crammed in your house with your wife and your kids and stuff. And I'm not saying that's bad, but you still had to feel the stress outside of that. Maybe I'm gone probably 60, 60, 70 hours a week. I'm not home. Okay. Well, then I'll go on record and say you're the only person in the country that has not been impacted in 2020, negatively impacted in 2020. And if you haven't been impacted, you can send your stimulus check to me. I'll send you my, I'll text you my. I didn't get, I didn't get one, bro. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, though, I'm I'm considering probably I'm thinking because I'm thinking about it now. 2022, I think spring of 2022 is when I probably get on stage. That's cool. next. I just don't see myself being done with with growing for a while. You should let I'm me having, coach you. I'm having too much fun. You know, I really am. You'd be all ripped. Yeah, I'm having too much fun growing muscle right now, and you know, I don't blame you. And if that's the case, ride it because your body won't always want to grow. Tell my clients that all the time. Don't take yourself out of a growth cycle if your body is in that mode of wanting to grow. Fuck, man, change your change your show. Let your body continue to grow if it's coming easy. But I do feel like uh, I do feel like I'm running out of years. You know, like in your 40s, you you're running out of years. I try to think about it. Yeah. I try not to think about it too, but <laughs> your perspective changed too on like substances you would consider using. I'm like thinking, sure. I am thinking of more longevity now. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I had a granddaughter this year, just last year. That's right, you did. Yeah, damn, grandpa. Oh, that was, I mean, that was that was that was weird. Or right, it, it's getting more normal now. Feeling. I got two of them. I get you. I don't even, I don't let them call me grandpa. That's fucked up. Call me something else. Pops or something. Don't I don't know. Big don't call me grandpa. Yeah. Big pop. Don't call me grandpa. Nothing start with grand. All right. Well, on that note, that sad, pathetic note of us <laughs> missing out on life and everybody else's too. Let's get out of here, guys, for another episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear with Skip Hill and S2H. I'm Scott McNally. Thank you guys for watching the live feed. We much appreciate you as always.